Hey, welcome to this week's episode of Radio Free 501C, the podcast of Rogue Tulips Consulting. I'm your host, Cecilia Sepp. My guest this week is Dean West of Association Laboratory. He created the leading environmental study, Looking Forward Impact, and we're going to be talking about the 2023 edition. Welcome to episode 185. Hey, everybody, it's Monday, February 27th. Yes, that's right. The end of February already, folks. Two-thirds of the way through the first quarter. Are you getting nervous? Well, don't worry, because today we're going to be talking about a lot of data that's going to help you make better decisions going forward the rest of the year. Welcome to Radio Free 501C. I'm your host, Cecilia Sepp. I'm the principal and founder of Rogue Tulips Consulting, and I am really excited to welcome back my longtime friend and colleague, Dean West, who's the president and founder of Association Laboratory. And we are talking about year 12, that's right, 12 years, folks, of Looking Forward. This year, it's Looking Forward 2023. Dean's here to share all these insights that he's gathered from our colleagues across the nonprofit community. Welcome back, Dean. Would you like to say hello and tell us a little about yourself? Happy to. Uh, always good to be back, Cecilia. Really appreciate it. Um, great blog. Uh, always enjoy uh, listening to it. Um, Association Laboratory does three things. Uh, we clearly do research and strategy consulting. The second thing we're known for, though, is we're the leading source of sector data in the association sector. Um, we currently have seven different sector studies on our Looking Forward dashboard, all of which you can access for free, all of which you can customize um, to your needs. You, you want it by state, you want it by professional society. And, you know, we're looking at more than a dozen years of our principal study, looking for an impact, which is the leading environmental scan of the association strategy environment. And it's starting to tell us some things that I think will be really helpful to people. Yes. And uh, before we dive in, though, I would like to say good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to our global audience, wherever you may be. And thanks for joining us. I think our global audience will really enjoy hearing what Dean has to say, and will also find this data extremely useful. And as Dean said, looking forward, started 12 years ago. Uh, I used to work with Dean at Association Laboratory, and it started out as a qualitative study where basically Dean asked a group of people a bunch of questions and wrote a report about it. It's now evolved, as he said, into probably the leading sector data that you can get because it has evolved over all of these years. And I highly recommend it, not just because I used to work there, but because it's actually wonderful data. Uh, and it has grown over the years. Uh, and, and I just, okay, yes. Do I want you to hire me, folks? Of course I do. But if you hire Association Laboratory, that's good too, because I know the quality of their work. I get excited about what they do because they do this in-depth data that helps everybody. And as Dean said, there's no fee for this. Uh, he works with some partners. Uh, to help get this information out. You can also take a lot of education at Association Laboratory as you can through Rogue Tulips Consulting. So just want to kind of give that plug in there for some good people doing some good work. Now, let's talk about the topic though, Dean. So sure. looking forward, we're always looking forward. The top five impacts that respondents have shared uh, affecting their association's members are qualified staff, data security, regulatory impacts, employee costs, and creating attractive career paths for their mm -hmm. employees. And what's interesting is 53% of the respondents were from professional organizations, societies, and 33% were trade associations. 
So I could ask you about 87 questions just about these five things, but but what have you seen over the years? So do you see in 2023 a really different impact list from the first year of looking forward? No is the short response. Um, in our very first study a dozen years ago, the number one cited issue was identifying, recruiting, and retaining a qualified workforce. Um, in fact, the percentage of respondents have identified that since we began the quantitative study a dozen years ago has increased 100%. Um, I think total response is somewhere around 86% of respondents um, cited as the number one concern. And it's been the number one concern every year except one, um, two years ago when the COVID-19 pandemic was number one and workforce was number two. And so we're starting to get, um, come to the conclusion that the looking forward impact study doesn't so much tell us what's going to happen, it's tell us, telling us what's already happened and starting to assess whether or not associations have made any progress in adapting to what is a very dynamic and changing world. Well, and could it also be, though, that it is the role of associations to focus on these areas? Um, I can make the case, yes. I, I think workforce, for example, is a missed opportunity. And we have known it's been an issue for a dozen years. And, and too many associations, I think, took a tactical approach to it, like a job board, for example. Um, over the last year or so, we've had clients come to us and act, ask for what's effectively a workforce strategic plan. What is the role of the association at creating a funnel and sustaining um, a funnel of people qualified to support members or support members themselves or professional societies over time. And they've started to look at it much more strategically and much more holistically as opposed to how do we set up a job board or how do we you know, send an orientation packet to a company member, some equivalent things. But it's been a, a challenge facing industries and professions for a long time. And I think it got accelerated by um, the COVID-19 pandemic, not um, uh, created by it. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because I know we're still feeling the after effects across the board in our society. And I, and I know societies across the world are seeing this too with staffing issues, finding qualified people. So do you find that the trade associations rate this as more serious to them, something that's of more concern versus a professional society? Um, yes, is the short response. We find the workforce hits um, trade associations first because their members are trying to find workers. And the implications of the search for workers, and the, the worker could be a surgeon, the worker could be a receptionist. The search for workers then impacts professional societies. So for example, we know that companies, based on our research, we know that company um, companies are struggling with workforce. Well, if I can't find someone that is fully qualified, what I do is seek out someone who is sufficiently qualified. And so what that produces on the professional society is competition between professions. And an example I've often used is, Historically, you would use an actuary to, um, to validate a risk model with an insurance company. Well, validating that model is, is math, and there are other people who can do math. So if I can't get sufficient actuaries to do that work, I hire a data scientist to do it um, and then have a, uh, an actuary certified, similar to a role of a professional engineer. And what we're seeing out of the data 
is the increase in competition between professions. And that is the result of that workforce challenge. Because if I'm a hospital, if I manufacture commercial explosives, whatever it is, I don't stop because I can't find people. I find workarounds. And the workarounds are casting a wider net using technology to do it. Think uh, working virtually from a different state. Um, And I seek out people who can get me close, but not all the way. And that's putting professions in conflict that historically have not been. So that's a really interesting take on that. I have not even considered that. Uh, I do know, obviously, people are competing for nurses or competing for trauma surgeons, uh, competing for people to mow their lawn. I know in my neighborhood, that's a big deal. But you had not even thought about that, that competition between professions, finding people with skills that can be transferred. And I think maybe that's an evolution in the employment world is the evolution of transferable skills as opposed to you only know how to do this one thing. So I think that's interesting. That kind of brings me to, you and I were having a separate conversation outside of this episode, of course, about chat GPT and how that can be a very useful tool. So do you think in the future you're going to start integrating questions about chat GPT and and how technology might be replacing employees? So we have, over the last several years, tested the influence of AI. Um, And the trouble is AI has become a popular catchphrase for a wide variety of applications and tools. Um, And so AI in a healthcare setting may be different than AI in a manufacturing setting as an example. So broadly speaking, we've gotten away from testing AI as a distinct attribute. It's more the implications of of some of these activities. And I think you're going to see a growing, um, I think respondents will start to see the growing impact of technological tools. And I think you're going to see it for a couple of reasons. One is one of the most substantial issues impacting associations is what I call the elimination of boundaries. And so technological interconnectedness that is created by the internet of everything, it means your phone can talk to your car, your, you can talk to your house, all these different things, you can talk to each other. And as a result, historical boundaries um, between information, between money and between competencies, frankly, no longer exist. So I have a small consulting firm. We have people in three states. That's a non-issue to us. Um, you can, I can keep my house from a hotel uh, in a different continent. I can change money. Many associations are designed around boundaries. You're the Indiana state something or other, or the American something or other. A lot of those boundaries have now been effectively eliminated, which not only gives you um, increased challenges, because it means anybody from outside that boundary can now you know, enter your historical turf, so to speak, but it means you have opportunities other places as well. And so from a workforce standpoint, to go back to our example, if I'm a company, I suddenly have a much broader area within which I can theoretically source workers. But if I'm a worker, I can theoretically work for any company within a reasonable, uh, you know, within the US as an example, um, you know, within a reasonable timeframe constriction. So when you start to add in the competitive aspect of that, you start to see the profession, suddenly you're not just competing with engineers in Chicago, you're competing with engineers anywhere if you want to get a job. Um, And how associations support companies who have these new opportunities, as well as the challenges the elimination of boundaries creates, and how they support the professionals on the professional society um, who have to be active within this, I think is going to be a challenge that is going to be um, 
is going to be interesting to see how associations adapt to it. Well, and I think, wow, you know, it just makes me think of so many other questions. We could go on for another hour and a half about this. Uh, the issue of boundaries, though, the thing about boundaries is they're artificial. We create them ourselves. So Perfect. whether we're the Indiana Society or we're a country, uh, these things can shift and change. And I think where we see a lot of resistance, and I know we talk about resistance a lot in the nonprofit community, especially resistance to change, resistance to doing things differently. We all know that old saying, that's the way we've always done it. But it's my opinion, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, that uh, if the nonprofit profession itself doesn't really start thinking differently. And I, and I have been talking to a lot of people, you know, the last eight months or so, and everybody's fearful we're slipping back into the old habits pre-pandemic. The pandemic really shook us up and showed us that things don't have to be the way that we think they have to be. So I think this elimination of boundaries, this, uh, again, we're going through another cycle of quickly advancing technology to your example of AI being a catch off for lots of different things, whether it's an algorithm or a chat bot or high level calculations uh, for something like space travel, let's say. But what we need to do is consider are we going to still be a profession at some point? I think that's a real question to consider. I don't know if your data speaks to that because uh, we're all focusing on serving our members, but the definition of membership is shifting. Uh, again, when you think about elimination of boundaries and things like sure. that, so where does all this lead us in the end? I mean, we're, we're still focusing on that role of serving members, whether they're professionals or trades or other types of industries. Sure. But where, where are we heading with this? With the, Does this mean that humans will be freer to learn and, and have transferable skills? Or are, is everything going to shift so dramatically that people are mostly unemployed by robots? I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm getting too far ahead of the data well, here. I think, I think the jury's out, frankly. And I've been trying to come up with a metaphor um, because I don't think... I don't think the association sector is rising to the challenge frankly, um, but other people are. So when we ask in looking forward impact, um, where do you anticipate um, increased competition from as an association? Um, clearly people continue to expect national associations to compete with them, but the number two is for-profit organizations. And in three years, that's gone from 32% of respondents to 44%. Um, and then there's also a dramatic increase of individuals that have an interest in your community. Um, think people on LinkedIn or someone on Facebook or Instagram targeting your industry or profession. So I go back to the no boundaries thing. So historically, what an association would do is draw a circle around a community. Um, their surgeons, their engineers, whoever it might be, um, a particular industrial sector, and then they would protect it. And for-profit organizations didn't, there weren't the technological tools to communicate to that community. There weren't the internal competencies um, in corporations to um, effectively serve that community. So they had a very product-based relationship and the association could protect that community. Well, because of technology, for-profit entities, A, can go around you and you can't stop that. Um, LinkedIn is effectively a free mechanism to talk to other professionals. I don't need a list. 
Um, uh, you know, 30 years ago, I had to buy a list and put things in envelopes and there were cost prohibitive, uh, it was cost prohibitive and it was technologically prohibitive. And at the end of the day, I didn't have the list. Now I don't need one because of the disruption of those boundaries by technology. The second thing that corporations have recognized is the value of community. Associations for a long time have known members buy more than non-members. As an example, members participate more in things like volunteer leadership and, um, and things of that nature, whether standards development, clinical guidelines, whatever it might be. Well, well, other organizations and individuals also recognize that. So if associations don't adapt more quickly to the fact that they can no longer be gatekeepers, um, for an audience, they will be left behind by organizations who no longer have to go through them to reach that audience. Um, and membership is just you aggregating the power of your audience, whether it's for advocacy, whether it's for whatever it might be. And so I think that's why you're seeing um, such a dramatic increase in, in competition from for-profits and from individuals than interest in the circle of people you serve because you can no longer prohibit those people from serving them and they recognize there is value in developing it. And I think that competition is gonna be very um, problematic to associations who don't, who don't make the adjustment. And I've been trying to come up with a good metaphor and I've kind of come up with a, house, a housing metaphor. Um, I have a particular market that wants a particular type of house. Um, and so I build that house and then I build a house just like it the next year and a house just like it the next year. And nobody else has the competencies or the money or the ability to build a house except me for that circle of people. Well, all of a sudden, because of technology, um, somebody else can build a different house across the street. And a portion of my circle wants that house instead of the one I'm building. And then somebody else builds a similar house that's different and pulls off another component of that marketplace. But I keep building the same house, the same house and the same house. So associations and for-profit organizations have the same toolkit, but too many associations keep building the exact same house, despite the fact that their market wants something different, and there are now alternatives in the marketplace building the houses they want. And that's the closest I've come to a, a metaphor on, on, I think, the challenge faced by many associations. I think that's a good metaphor. It's kind of a long metaphor. It's got a good back. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I think you're right. You know, we keep trying to sell the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And instead of focusing on the really valuable thing we offer, which is connection and real community and relationships, we are known as the relationship industry. Anybody can sell you a book, but Amazon creates a community. You're part right. of when you buy your book from Amazon, whether you participate in the community is another thing. But I think uh, I, I agree with you 100%. You said a few minutes ago, associations are not rising to the challenge. Yeah. And I yeah. agree. And I think there's a, there's a lot of impediments. Uh, we tend to be uh, in an echo chamber to a certain extent, because we tend to talk to each other instead of talking sure. to people outside. Uh, we keep repeating the same things. We say we need to do this because it's the way the other associations are doing it. Nobody said you had to do what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Well, and there's some, I think there's some strategic advantages for associations. They can win this um, battle or challenge or justice challenge. One is um, associations have years of experience serving their market. And that experience is hard to duplicate. Um, the culture of associations isn't to treat a member as a customer. Um, any association staff, it's, it's, it's gratifying, frankly, to listen to how they care about um, 
the nuances of a profession or of an industry. Okay. Second, they have the confidence. Um, we have just demonstrated as a sector we can adapt to a substantial disruption, you know, COVID-19. So we know we have the, the ability to do something different. We have all the same tools that um, other entities have, whether for-profit or not-for-profit. So we've got a, a bigger, not smaller toolkit, and nobody has a tool that we don't have. And finally, we have a community, to your point, Cecilia, that can learn from each other. Um, you and I don't have competing grocery stores, and we can't and we can't share um, what's working and not working. Okay, we have organizations serving different markets for different reasons, but with the same toolkit. So a healthcare association, a professional, uh, or an engineering association, and a legal association can compare what's working and not working on things such as membership or meetings or things. So we have a, um, an ability to share across the sector that competitors within another um, arena would not be allowed to do. The question is whether we can take advantage of those um, assets to win. Well, and I think that, uh, I, you know, we could go on for another hour at least on this topic, because it's going to lead us down these other roads and bringing it back to our original topic of the data that you continue to collect for the community. On behalf of the community, thank you, uh, because we all benefit from that. But the data is what can drive us into a new direction, and the data is what gives us context. Uh, we need to put that data in context for ourselves, but the data also provides a starting point for building that sure. context. So I can't believe we're near the end of our episode already. So as you know, uh, you've been on before. I like to ask my guest, uh, what's the one thought you would like people to take away today? And how can they get in touch with you if they'd like to follow up? Sure. Um, you can access the data at associationlaboratory.com and you're looking for the Looking Forward Dashboard. And uh, again, we have seven different sector studies currently up there. Um, uh, looking Forward Impact is the leading environmental scan of the association sector. It examines um, across six domains, the issues impacting members and the challenges that creates for associations. The second study, Looking Forward Solutions, assesses over 130 um, association strategies identified by um, association leaders who say they're important. And then we have the two leading DEI studies um, in the sector. Um, uh, we've done two studies in 18 months um, on, on the state and status of DEI in the association sector. I go back to this, you have to register, but it's free. You can customize it. You can download it. And to your point on interpretation, Cecilia, where most of our, our clients and participants use this data is to begin the conversation with their staff teams and their volunteer leaders to talk about the world is changing and we design ourselves to be successful at some future state, not today. And so they use this data to begin bringing the lines in with their volunteer leadership and staff team on saying, what's our future going to look like? We know we're going to face um, an, an arena with diminished technological barriers. So what does that mean for us? You know, and how do we adapt to it as an example? Um, and then finally, of course, at Association Laboratory, um, we do custom research, but we also organize leadership events um, to help you kind of guide that conversation. We just did one in healthcare two weeks ago and uh, happy to tell people um, or give them guidance on how best to use the information to, to um, help those de that decision-making internally. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much. Uh, again, everyone, Association Laboratory, treasure trove of data, and they do have some of the historical data if you're the kind of person who likes to compare and contrast uh, yeah, what yeah, people we do trend talk. It. Yep. 
So, well, they, they, oh, we have to go rogue for now. Uh, another great conversation with my friend Dean West from Association Laboratory. Uh, check out Association Laboratory at associationlaboratory.com. Uh, to learn more about them. So, and then you're probably wondering, well, gee, Cecilia, is this an advertisement for Association Laboratory? No, it's not, but he's just a fun person to talk to and <laughs> did a lot of good work. So, uh, but if you'd like to learn what Rogue Tulips Consulting could do for you and help your organization bloom outside the box, check out our website, roguetulips.com. If you are a current CAE or a CAE candidate, or you're just a curious sort like myself and would like to take some webinars or courses, check out our education program, the 501C League. It has its own website, the501cleague.net. So thanks everyone for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any more exciting episodes of Radio Free 501C. And on behalf of Dean and myself, thanks for joining us. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Bye.